All right, I wonder if you could turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 38, I think it is, before we get into that. Um, this afternoon, firstly, again, I want to welcome visitors. Sorry that we're not uh, doing all the formal things, but I trust you do feel welcome. I really, really do. My name is Clayton, for those of you who don't know, and uh, that's my wife, Jen, and there's a wonderful leadership team, and we all love you, and we trust you feel welcome. We really, really do. But um, this afternoon, I want to preach on worship. We're going to launch into something for a season. Um, uh, I don't know how long, maybe a month, on worship. And it's something that I've preached on before, and I just felt like to go straight into it out of that time of worship. I already know that as a body, we probably worship longer than most other uh, bodies around here, which I'm not too concerned about. And over this next month, you'll see why. But I do believe that there's depths of worship that we have never even discovered. And, uh, you know, worship came first. We realize that, right? Before there was teaching, there was worship. Before, was, before the law came, there was worship. Before any institution came that existed on the face of the earth, there was worship. Worship came first. And I think in our today, in our world today, it's very difficult for a modern Christian, especially in a first world situation, to actually worship publicly. And some of you might be offended, we just had wonderful worship, but to really push the depths of worship as the Hebrew people knew, because they knew God through worship, to press into those kind of things as we can look into the scripture, it's, it's an amazing depth of worship that we have never really gone into. We've had times of it, I personally, I'm sure you personally, um, have had times of just amazing worship at conferences or even here or in your bedroom. But I, friends, anything that you don't do at home, you'll find doesn't really come out in the corporate. I'm far more crazy with my worship at home. I'm pretty subdued here because uh, I don't want to distract people. But at, at my, you know, I'm on my knees, I'm standing, I'm jumping, I'm, I'm pretty weird when it comes to worshiping the Lord. And, uh, but there's a freedom that should come even in a body. Amen? So we're going to do a little bit of a journey. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. I'm going to speak at you, and I mean that, at you. I don't like to do that normally. But I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground very fast, just so we can get to some of the other stuff. But there's, there's things I want to cover doctrinally. I have four weeks, and we're going to cover a lot of ground today. But it's just it's like a shotgun blast today, so I can set up for the, next, for the next month. And you're going to think after today, how much more can you say about worship? Uh, it is so much. You know, there really, really is so much. We're going to deal with singers, how to sing, you know, in terms of uh, singing the Spirit, not just what we did now, but singing along and instrumentation and prophesying on instruments and doing things that you see in the Bible that for many of us we think, well, that's up to them. Friends, it's the body of Christ and worshiping as a body. And there's a place that a body of Christ can go to with worship if they go together. And so my task, in a sense, is to bring some doctrinal understanding, some truth. Because unless we see it here, we'll never endeavor to go into it. Because otherwise you think, well, this is a little weird or this is a little different. But we have to see it here, and so I have to show it to you here. And I'm just forewarning you, I might say things today that seem, sometimes I'll say this much, and there's this much study behind it, and you can go into this, the depths of it, but I just don't have the time. 
but I have all the notes and we can chat after this. But I, I, I really, I'm a worshiper at heart. I do, if I, have a re- if I do have a single regret, because the Lord set me free, I don't have regrets. It's that I know that I really believe I was called to be a worshiper, a worship leader of some sort, a, a musician. And I kind of sat on that gift. But in my heart, I love to worship. And I know everyone says, well, you know, worship is more than music. It's a lifestyle. And friends, worship has a lot to do with music. Has a lot to do with music. And we're going to look at that scripturally. And you know, music, if you look at the industry in the world today, it's the enemy's tool. And, uh, and it, but it's the Lord's tool first. He created it. And I really believe the church should be pushing the boundaries of even music. Uh, but the world is, you know, we're copying the world. But the church is the one who has the secret key to, the, to music and to gifts and to the musical talents. And uh, so anyway, where are we? Ezekiel 38. I'm just going to write, last week we spoke about salt, the salt of the earth and being outward focused and mission and commission and, and so forth. You know, friends, someone said this, which struck me years ago. Worship, uh, mission exists, the commission, the great commission. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Think about that for a while. We go on commission, we have a great commission because somewhere people are not worshiping the Lord. So we go there to see the kingdom come, to see people get saved so they too will worship the Lord because worship is is our primary call. So mission exists because somewhere worship doesn't happen. So we go there so that they will worship. Amen? Um, So I'm going to, as I said, go fast. Ezekiel 38, I'm going to start with some sense of a cosmic view of worship. And people say, what do you mean by that? Just some sense of heaven's perspective. Now I've got to find Ezekiel. Pastor Isaiah, Pastor, okay. Jeremiah. Ezekiel 38. Many people believe that Ezekiel 38 and uh, Isaiah 14, I think it is, have to do with the fall of Satan. And um, here in Ezekiel 38, it's talking about the... the is it, oh, sorry, it's 28, I'm sorry. Um, it's talking about the king of Tyre. And so some of you might say, well, it's talking about the king of Tyre, but it's actually biblically and theologically, uh, it's many, many theologians and many commentaries that I've read and so forth are actually talking about uh, the, the enemy as well. You'll find often in Scripture there's a double-barrel prophecy, Ezekiel being a prophet. In Isaiah he said he, he will have a son, he will be named Emmanuel. We all know he's speaking about Jesus but Isaiah had an actual son, and that's what they called him. So it has a meaning now and a meaning to come. So if you look at Ezekiel 28, it says, when you're speaking about worship, it says this. It says, let's go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 10, no, 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation, for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were an Eden. And so once you start talking about Eden, uh, many people say, Well, the king of Tyre wasn't in Eden. So, but we, we can discuss that another time if you need. The garden of God, every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and, fifth, back and forth in the midst 
are fiery stones. You were perfect in your way from the day I created till iniquity was found in you. Now, the cherub, if you look at the ark, or if you look at the throne of heaven in, in the scripture, you'll see that the, the, the throne of God sits among, in, between the cherub. Yes? The cherub, there were three archangels, many of you know this, Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel, and they have different tasks, and the scripture points to the fact that Gabriel, I mean, my, uh, Lucifer was over worship, and uh, it's very interesting if you think about it, because it says he was the anointed cherub. You know, cherubs and, 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 and seraphs are the, in a sense, they get more prominence in scripture than other angels, but he was the anointed cherub. He was the cherub that covers. He was right by the throne. He was the one that took hold of. He was the one that was right in the presence of the Lord. And even before our creation, he was leading the current creation, angels and so forth, all creation in worship, which is why he wanted worship so badly, and he still does. And one of the old translations, I think it's the Moffat translation, actually describes his being as being made up of musical instruments. And it kind of lends to that there too, made up of music musical instruments. And you look at the music in the world today. But when the enemy was cast out, uh, one of the uh, musicologists, a Christian musicologist by the name of Ray Hughes, some of you might know him, he was in charge of Morningstar worship for 40 years. He said it like this, he said, it is as if that spot, the cherub who covers it, is as if it was left open. And so God raised up a, a people for himself to worship, and to worship in the very presence of the Lord. And the whole plan of Christ, you see the plan of Christ where now Satan was cast out for what, for in a sense, the iniquity, as it says in your heart, but yet we are still, in a sense, have iniquity, but because of the righteousness and the blessedness of Christ and the veil being torn, we can worship in that place based on his righteousness, not in ours. And so we get that precious place of worship to the Lord. If you really think about this, it's an amazing, and you see the enemy has a jealousy for that place. He wants, he doesn't want to be there, he wants the worship. That's why he said to Jesus, if you will worship me, I'll give you what you came for. You don't have to go to the cross, try to circumvent that whole process. So worship is, is one of the first things you see. And worship is extremely primal and extremely vulnerable when a person really worships the Lord. You know, when you really worship the Lord and your eyes are closed, you couldn't care about anybody else around you. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's real. You just, you surrender. It's like a, almost like a place of nakedness. It's a very vulnerable place. And yet this, most people in their Christian walk, sadly, um, don't have a, a set time with the Lord. And because there was so much emphasis on that 20 years ago, quiet time, prayer time, whatever, there became a lot of legalism around it. So they went to the other extreme and they said, you can just, you know, you don't need that. So there was the other extreme. And now people just walk in. But the funny thing is, most people, when they spend time with the Lord, they know they pray and read. I'm going to read the word and I'm going to pray. But worship should come. Worship is first. Very few people actually worship and sing and dance. You'll say, you're crazy. Biblical. And dance before the Lord by themselves. Very few. And yet it's the most treasured place. There's things that can come in worship that we're going to discover that can only come in worship. Hello? Richard's smiling. We're good, Richard. You and me are good. I wrote this. The enemy will do whatever he can to destroy the ministry of music and worship amongst God's people. That's why when the intercession team, and I actually just wanted to, I wrote it on my hand and I forgot. I wanted to thank the intercession team. For me, it's been like a night and day in the spirit over the church since the intercession team has started. Really wanted to thank you guys. It's making a huge impact. And the worship team should be 
part of that constant prayer because they we don't worship them obviously but they they're responsible for something very precious very 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 precious and i've watched them prepare and i've watched them weep and i've watched them and then you know we come and we say well i didn't like that song and i didn't like it when they did this and friends there's such a limited understanding there of worship such a limited understanding so can we go on a journey together can we open our minds yes hello all right thank you all right we're going to start very briefly with a history of worship firstly if you look at the history of worship and let me first read this worship is part of establishing the rule and the throne of god amongst these people who knows the scripture i think it's psalm 23 god is he is enthroned amidst these people yes when you worship god i said this in the encounter evening about a week and a half ago when you worship god you actually bring his throne in he is enthroned upon his praise we're going to look at that verse in detail it means more than that but it's interesting to me that he is choosing to put his throne and build his throne on worship. And when the throne, that's government, when the government of God comes, and we can explain all of this over the next month, when the government of God comes, his rule comes, his authority. And when his authority comes, nothing will stand. True authority comes into the room. That's when you see healing becomes easy. That's when you see worship changes. There's such a sense of his government, his authority, and he waits for worship to put his throne there. Yeah? It's absolutely true. And when we see a place that, in a sense, always struggles with worship, or, you know, I've heard many people say, well, I don't really go for the worship because I don't like the singing, so I just go for the preaching. Friends, hear my heart. There was no teaching when worship existed came way before the very heart of god worship we knew a young man in the youth who didn't like music at all i don't understand that because i'm a very musical person i i thought maybe there's a part missing i don't know but he didn't like any music he couldn't stand it and he got so set free that the one day he came to us and he said i started to like music through worship and by the end of that retreat he got set free from stuff the power of god hit him he was jumping up and down and dancing and shouting in the worship and trust me he was not like that and i'd watched this young man get free he didn't even like music any music anyway history of worship i'm just going to run through this very fast first thing you see is in genesis 4 it's the first mention of worship in the bible and it's the altar of well it's the sacrifice of abel genesis chapter 4 sacrifice of abel was actually worship he wasn't looking for the forgiveness of sin he was worshiping it was a grateful heart the second time you see is with noah with noah he comes out of the ark genesis chapter 8 and you see he comes out of the ark and he builds an altar and he worships with sacrifice very important i'll explain to you why worship i wrote this worship before and during the law before the law and during the law so today's going to be doctrine you guys ready for doctrine then we'll get into awesome stuff next week worship before the law and during the law always impacted their wallets income livestock impacted their money in a sense their wallets and their time took a lot of time and it was expensive even during the law you look at some of the stuff that happened during the law these can bring 10,000 of these and 2,000 of these and six and there's livestock and they just burn it to the Lord it's an amazing amazing thing that they used to do but I wrote you it was often great great expense and it took time before the law there was no mediator and most of worship most of worship was in a sacrificial sense there was an altar there was a sacrifice there was some that was their form of worship there's only two songs recorded in scripture before the law came into place the song of Moses 
and the Song of Miriam, brother and sister. Those are the only two songs you see in the Bible before the law. They sang and they prophesied, and Miriam played a tambourine. And in actual fact, it was so powerful, I'm going three weeks ahead of myself here, it was so powerful that they, the, the old, um, one of the old Jewish books, I forget the name of it now, records how the language of the Hebrew people went from a dull, uh, like a dull um, tone. There were certain inflex and tones that hadn't been fully developed. It changed when Miriam sang by the unction of the Spirit prophetically, changed their language. The power of worship changed it forever because she sang a song by the inspiration of the Spirit. But then you see the law. In the law, worship began as very ordered, very uh, liturgical in a sense. It was through a priestly service, through the tabernacle. It was actually written to be and known to be apart from the presence of the Lord. Even though they had the ark, there was a veil. So they could worship, but only the high priest once a year. You all know this, but it was like kind of separate. It began like that, but it changed. Because with all that kind of structure and command to worship. You have to worship like this, you have to dress like this, you have to do this. It was all the structure and law, yet within that system you see incredible worship. You see most of, the, most of the worship in the Bible is within that system. And yet the Bible says that's an inferior covenant. We have a superior covenant. We have access more than they did. But most of worship you see, you see hundreds of thousands. Now we only have a few recorded. I'm guessing hundreds of thousands, but here at least thousands, here at least hundreds of prophetic songs given by the unction of the Spirit in a law system. You see songs of deliverance, songs of praise, and we see songs all over the Old Testament, even though it was in that system. And then along came a man by the name of David. And David is like one of my heroes, because David with such a worshiper's heart that he was worshiping beyond what the law required of him. He was one of the first people to really, they did that before the law. You see them, they weren't demanded to worship and set up altars and stuff. But now the law comes, there's the commanded and demanded worship and certain sacrifices. David comes along and worships and worships. He has the heart of a worshiper. Because of worship, David literally transcended the whole system of the law. You see him doing stuff that was totally out of the law. And that's what we're going to get into. It's important for us to build a foundation. David established something called the Davidic order of worship. It broke open the heavens. It transcended the system of the law. So, we're going to get into something called the tabernacle of David. Who's ever heard about that before? Most people. Okay, I preached on this two years ago. We're going to get into something called the tabernacle of David. It's what he set up. And I will tell you very briefly, and we're going to go into it in detail next week. Okay? The Tabernacle of David. Let me actually quickly give you this. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Actually, 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles. I did this two years ago as well. I will constantly say Corinthians. I mean Chronicles. Okay. Go to 1 Chronicles for me. Go to chapter 15. And just to give you some context, 1 Chronicles 12 is about David's mighty men the growth of his army, 1 Chronicles 13, David desires to bring the ark of the Lord, the presence of God, out of the Philistines and back to, um, he brings it from kirjath Jerim. he wants to bring it into the city of David, but that didn't go so well, right, because he put it on the cart instead of the priests, so Uzzah got struck dead, so David was upset about that, and he had a little chat with the Lord about that, 
And then in, one, uh, in 14, you see the Philistines were defeated. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, you see um, the ark is brought to Jerusalem. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to run through six or seven chapters really fast. So this is what the, David wants to bring, the presence of God, the victory of God, the very throne, in a sense, between the cherub, the worship. He wants to bring it back into Jerusalem. He's been crowned king, and he wants to bring it back. Okay? So if you go look at 1 Chronicles 15, verse 6, I think it is. Oh, sorry, 16. I'm going to try to do this first. It says, Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers. Now let me ask you a question. Was that present in the, in the tabernacle under Moses? No. So this is new. Just try, just for a second, he's doing something outside of what was prescribed. Something he's done his whole life. More than what's required. And he pressed through into avenues, into the supernatural, into the spirit realm through worship. And it says here, David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers, accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps and cymbals, by raising the voice with resounding joy. It was very different to the whole like solemn kind of worship under the tabernacle system. Go to verse uh, 6, go to verse 17, we've done that. Go to verse 22, it says here, um, Kenaniah, the leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the music. Why? Because he was skillful. I believe, and we'll, you'll see this over the next month, that David and Kenaniah are probably two of the greatest musicians that have ever lived on the face of the earth. Amos chapter 6 says David invented instruments, invented them. Instruments that had never been. Amos 6. David invented instruments. He pressed, he saw something in the heavens that was not yet on the earth, and he invented new instruments. Just saying. He was a man like you and me, under an inferior covenant, and he was able to do this. What can you and I do? People are sitting here saying, I'm not musical. You'll see that every person is musical to a degree. Go to verse 27. It says here, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as all the Levites bore the ark, the singers, the Kenaniah, the music master. Don't you like that? The music master with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. And you see that under the system they appointed three uh, chief musicians, Heman, Asaph, and Jeduthun. Go to verse, uh, go to Chronicles 1, Chronicles 16. Let's go to verse 1. It says here, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. Okay, I'm trying to do this fast. Throughout Israel's history at the time, from the law, there was one tabernacle being given very specific instructions by the Lord how to build the tabernacle. We've all heard a million sermons on it, right? The tabernacle in the desert. We have to remember that that was built as a foreshadow of what was in heaven. Now the tabernacle is built. Okay, where was it built? At the time, it was on Mount Gibeon, six miles away. The ark, technically, according to the law, should have been taken and put in that tent, in that tabernacle. It was already there. Yet David takes the ark, the presence, the power, the glory. Uzzah has just been killed just for touching it. Just trying to give you a picture. David erects a tent. We have no idea what the tent looked like. I personally don't think it was maybe modeled after the tent of Moses. I don't know. It doesn't give us a, it doesn't even tell us if there was a veil. Bible doesn't tell us. But he erects a tent. It says tabernacle just as a word for tent. He erects a tent. He brings that ark and he puts it six miles away from the Levitical priesthood, all the services, all the under Zadok, Z-A-D-O-K, Zadok the priest. And he gets another priest, Abathar, and he says, I'm going to put the ark here 
And, you know, that's what he did. Nobody dies. <laughs> no one gets struck down. In the desert, that would have been a problem because he was a worshiper. He had seen something. When he handed over his plans to the temple, to, he wanted to build God a temple. When he handed the plans to Solomon, he said, take the plans, it's in 1 Chronicles 28, I think, take the plans which I saw by the Spirit. Actually says that. He saw something in the Spirit that had to do with worship that was not currently under the system of Moses. I want you to try and understand what worship can show you. He saw something that didn't exist through worship. He took the ark, he put it there. Throughout that time, that was called Mount Zion. They built a little tent there. Immediately, he established 24-7, 365. 24 hours a day, all day, every day. Systems of worship that we'll get into. With, 12 team, with sets of uh, teams with 12 people. Every father has a... I mean, it's an amazing system. We'll get into that. But he establishes this. And from that day, you have two tabernacles for the first time and the last time in the history of the Jewish nation. And at this tabernacle, all they do is worship. There was only two offerings that were offered there because it wasn't a sacrifice. It was those two offerings in the verse 16, verse 1. It said he offered burnt and peace offerings. Never another offering mentioned in the tabernacle of David. It was for worship. And you see a prophetic glimpse of the new covenant. A people worshipping, the Bible says we have unveiled faces, because the veil was torn in Christ. A people worshipping, the ark stood for the manifest glory, presence, power, authority of God. You could not go near it. You could, probably would, wouldn't even make it there. You'd end up on your face. And David sets up a system where all of God's people can come and worship with the ark, the presence of the Lord. Never before seen, never heard of. There was no instruction given by the Lord that we can see to how to build this. He just erects this temple, this, uh, this tent. Funny thing is, when he gave plans to Solomon to build the temple, from that day onwards, the system of Davidic worship went into the new temple. It never went back to the temple of Moses. It, it, Zadok the priest kept the sacrifices. Why? Because that whole system was for the forgiveness of sins, the shedding of blood, the atonement, the high priest goes in once a year. Yes, still doing that. Still doing that, but without the ark. Try imagine that. Sadok the priest is doing all the stuff. No presence of God. No ark. But he's got to keep the system going for the sins of the people. The ark's over here. And God says, I want to be where the worship is. I want to go to this tent. It's like two parties. I want to go to that party. I want to go to this tent. I want to go where the worship is. And from that day, when the temple was built, the two systems converged together. Do you know that? Under Solomon, he instituted Davidic worship in the temple that was not there under the day of Moses. It changed the entire role and the entire system of worship in the nation of Israel forever. Can you, can you just see that that's a big deal? All right. Awesome. So I think we can get into that more later. I wrote there, there's a quote up there. The tabernacle of David was standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. I think there's a quote. Is there a quote? The blue writing. If there is. If not, 
I'll just read it. Okay, the tabernacle of David was standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, while the tabernacle of the Lord was taken and pitched on Mount Gibeon. The ark of God's presence was on Mount Zion, where the singers and musicians sought his face or presence continually. We are to remember that this is from a commentary. We are to remember that those chosen Levites are a type of new covenant believer. They worshipped the ark of God, his manifest presence in their midst, and we see such a picture here. Zadok the priest, the sacrificial system still needed, going through the rituals still needed, but no ark, no presence. So, very important. After this, six kings. And after this, we're going to do other things, but I quickly take you through this. Can you still with me? I know this is intense, but we need to do this. Six kings. Can you throw up those, that slide? Six kings continued with David's order of worship. Solomon. In 2 Chronicles 7, I'm not going to read it, 7 verse 4 to 6, you see that he establishes, he reestablishes the system and the Davidic order of worship in the temple. Next one, Joash, he does the same thing years and years later. Next one, Hezekiah, I'll read this one, 2 Chronicles 29. So you see, someone's got to go do all this work so that we can know what's biblical, right? 2 Chronicles 29 verse 25, it says this, um, and he stationed, this is Hezekiah, now restores the temple, something had happened. It says this, don't put the scripture up, uh, she just keep the list up. He appointed the st- and stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with the cymbals. Did that happen before? No. The cymbals, the stringed instruments with the harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, Nathan the prophet, and etc. He says, um, and when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also was with the trumpets and the instruments of David. And the next one. Go to the next one. The next one was Josiah, 2 Chronicles 35. I'll go there. Josiah, 2 Chronicles 35. I think it's verse 13, yes. It says here, um, Also there rose of the Passover offerings with a fire according to the ordinance. What's that? That's the sacrificial system. Okay? So they have the sacrificial system. Then he says this. Uh, he says, The night before the Levites prepared portions for themselves and the priests of the sons of Aaron, verse 15, and the singers and the sons of Asaph were in their places according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer and the gatekeepers. Now, go to Nehemiah chapter, you can go to the next slide, then we're done with this. Go to Nehemiah chapter 12, I'll show you the last one. Throughout Israel's history from that day, we need to see this, and I know this is dry, but I need you to see it. I would normally move on, but this is too important. In Nehemiah, you know the story of Nehemiah. He, he rebuilds the temple. Now he's rebuilding the wall. He says in Nehemiah 12, verse 27, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the dedication with gladness. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside. Go to verse 45. Actually, verse 44, and at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits, the tithes, that's the sacrificial system. Verse 45, both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. Now listen to this. For in the days of David and Asaph of old were chiefs of singers, he man, Jeduthun, and Asaph, Verse 45, yeah. In the, the verse 46. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, will Israel give the portions to the singers. Worship became such a statute 
in the history of Israel that they not only paid full-time the Levites who were part of the sacrificial system, they started paying full-time the singers and the worship leaders in a sense from that day. We can go all over all of it and we don't have the time. But what's the most important thing, friends, is that we see a system of worship that David set up. And I know it's tedious to go over. I've read that stuff so many times, I've studied it so often. If you go look at Acts chapter 15, this is where, it, what does that mean for us? Okay, go look at Acts, Acts chapter 15, New Covenant. I'm laying a foundation today, it's important. Acts chapter 15, now what's happening here? The, Jeru- the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles are getting saved, they're seeing signs, wonders and miracles, and the Jews are saying, we don't like this because the Gentiles are not keeping with some of the laws and some of the traditions of the Jewish people, but they're seeing signs, wonders and miracles. So they convene a Jerusalem council to say, how do we deal with this issue? Okay, this is what happens. Verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved in a manner as they. That's the Jewish people speaking. Go back to verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting your yoke on the neck of the disciples? So they're saying, don't put the yoke of the law on the neck of the Gentiles. Uh, On the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then to all the multitude kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul, because they were given the right hand of fellowship to go to the Gentiles. And Peter and James went to the Jews. Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out for them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now he quotes Amos chapter 9. After this, which is in these days, in those days, in these days, that era of the last days which we are in. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. Read it again. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. What does this mean for us? Friends, we have to understand that the government of God is enthroned, is built upon worship. Throughout the Bible, you will see God gives specific orders of things. Worship is actually very important. And throughout the Old Testament, all those other kings, whenever, I didn't have the time to go into it because I could see I was losing you, to be honest. Whenever the kings went back and established the Davidic order of worship, it brought prosperity, it brought finance, it brought peace to the whole nation. And here they're saying, in this day, post-cross, the tabernacle of David should come through. And we need to establish again, not like through the law, but in our own way, the Davidic order to build up the worship, the Davidic order of worship, Why? Because it's on worship that God chose to place his throne. David instituted 24-7 worship. What happened after they had been doing that for a little while? It was there that David decided to build his throne. And he wanted to rule from that place. So he built his throne there. And that little area was called Mount Zion. It was just a mountain. Later on, it extended to about a 10-mile radius. That was Mount Zion. Then it extended to the whole of Jerusalem, was renamed 
Mount Zion because of worship. And that's where David put his throne and from there he ruled. I believe this is why God chose to give in a sense. No father will say to, this is the son of so-and-so if it's your son. You, you, very, you take ownership of your children. But the father says, this is the son of David. This is the son of David. He gives his title in a sense to David. This is Christ the Messiah, the son of David. Why? I believe because of worship. He gave David that very title. And I know it's because of lineage. So, what's the time? I'm wondering if I should go into the next thing here. Can you guys bear with me 10 more minutes? I just had to build a foundation. We have to see, friends, that if we as a body, we as a nation, we as a city, we as a people, we as a family, we as you and your home, if you can have some concept of what it means to worship in the, the biblical prescribed way to worship, that in that place, God, the Bible says God is looking where he can rest. He's looking where he can sit. The word is the same in the Hebrew, where he dwells, where he inhabits. He will wait for worship. And the Davidic order of worship comes through from the Old Testament because he transcended the law. And it came through from the Old Testament. And if a church can understand that, we're going to get into that. Can you put up that slide, She, There were seven forms, seven forms of Hebrew, different words for Hebrew worship. Very important. In the English, in your English Bible, it'll be translated like this. Worship or praise or singing. But it doesn't do it justice. There's halal. That's the, every time in the Bible it says worship, praise, singing is one of these in the Old Testament. Halal is primarily a Hebrew root word for praise. It was our word hallelujah. comes from the space. It means to be clear, to shine, to boast, to rave, etc. Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord. It's halal. O ye servants of the Lord. Praise. It's hallelujah. It's exalt. It's worship the king. Next one. Next slide. Yada. The confession of thankful surrender associated with bodily actions. It conveys the thought of extension of the hands. Fully trusting, surrendering. The visual is like a small child, it's interesting, who wants to be picked up. What do they do? Uppy. I want up. According to the lexicon, the opposite meaning is to bemoan. The wringing of hands. To start to think deceitfully, to plan. It's the opposite. Next one. Todah. Todah. Again, a form of Hebrew praise. Todah comes from the same principal root word as yada, but is used more specifically like an agreement. Like when you shake a person's hand, there's a silent agreement when you shake a person's hand. Todah literally means an extension of the hand in adoration, in vowel and acceptance. You know when sometimes we say, we thank the Lord before it comes? You know that that's a form of worship? You can worship and begin to thank the Lord in worship before something has happened because he said something. You're doing todah. You say, I agree with you, Lord. So your hands are lifted in agreement. And you're agreeing with the Lord. It's a biblical form of worship. Next one. And it actually will bring it about. Shabbat. Shabbat means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. But it's more than just a loud shout. It's the idea of putting everything you have into it, in a sense, from your heart. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Oh, shout to God with a voice of triumph. Who feels, who's ever felt like they wanted to shout in worship? Okay. I know you do, Richard. We all hear you shout out. Friends, it's not cultural. It's biblical. Doesn't mean you have to shout every, it's something that will come from your depths. It's not about volume, it's about the heart. Next one. Barak. Barak means to kneel down. I was doing that this morning. To bless God as an act of adoration. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us, let us praise. The English version just says praise. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. It's a form of worship. Next one. Zamar means to touch or pluck or play the strings of an instrument. To sing, to praise, musical word. 
uh, and that's with joyful expressions of musical with musical instruments. So next one, be exalted in thine own strength. We see that. Next one. It's the one I want to talk to you briefly about in seven minutes. Tehillah. Tehillah is derived from the word halal and means the singing of halals, to sing or to laud, perceived to involve music, especially the singing of hymns. Now, just let me get in my notes because I'm way behind. Tehillah. Very important. It also means the bursting forth of a spontaneous song, the new song of the Spirit. So, I wrote you, we could be lost in such a sense of gratefulness as we sing out with the other. Who's ever worshipped the Lord and you're just lost in gratefulness to God? It's just, and you just, ah, oh, thank you, Lord, you are good. You know, that's you actually doing yada. It's a Hebrew form of praise. And then you go with a sense of agreeing by God in faith. Yes, we thank you for this, Lord. And you start to worship and thank you. You're doing, you're doing an agreement. You're singing uh, Toda or exalting in his greatness. When we sing, I exalt thee, like we did today, it's halal. And they actually all have a different impact in the spirit realm. Very different. The Hebrew people understood the difference. Very different. And then... When the sense of who's ever felt like when the Spirit of God is moving in worship and you don't know why, but you just feel in your heart, I need to get on my knees. Who's ever felt that? That's Barak. Sometimes the Lord comes in like a, there's like a royalty and you just feel, I need to get on my knees. I don't know why I need to get on my knees. It's a Barak form of worship. It's a Barak form of praise. But Tehillah, this is my favorite one. Tehillah is the spontaneous bursting forth. It's the new song of the Spirit. And this is what we need to understand. It's this one that Psalm 22.3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. God doesn't. Now, the Bible says God enthrones or God inhabits. The word in the Greek is to dwell or to be crowned as king. So what happens is you start with halal. And I know I'm teaching you like a, like as, I'm just teaching as if you know nothing because you cover everyone like that. You worship with halal, you worship with todah, you start to sometimes get deep into thankfulness, just overwhelming in tears. It's all biblical worship. But then there comes a moment when tehillah starts to rise up in you, which is the spontaneous new song of the Spirit, and it starts to burst forth from you, almost like a gushing of a dam when the dam breaks. And you start to sing spontaneously. You start to just sing your own words in spontaneous, or sometimes it's, it's just in the spirit, or you start to sing spontaneous from deep inside of you. That is the worship the Bible says, and that's the only worship the Bible says that God will enthrone himself on. God will inhabit the praise. God, and that word is there in, the, in the Hebrew is tehillah. God inhabits tehillah worship in a way that he doesn't inhabit all the others. That's biblical, friends. Don't be offended. I see some people looking at me like I'm crazy. That's biblical. God inhabits Tehillah. I'll show you something. Jehoshaphat. Who knows the story of Jehoshaphat? They sent out the singers. Okay. Who knows the story? Just raise your hand so I know. Okay. This is a, an army. This is what's happening. There's a battle. It says here. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. You shall be established. Sorry, I'm in 2 Chronicles 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. God said to him, Send out the singers, and I will fight. It's a famous story. But you know what the Hebrew says? It says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and they should praise the beauty of his holiness. That word praise there, who should halal. So he says, Send out the singers to exalt, and to lift me up, and to exalt me. 
So they do that, okay, on they go. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord, the word there is Yada, thank the Lord, praise the Lord. And they're declaring and they're declaring and they're lifting him up and they're exalting him. It says, but when they began to sing and praise, that word is Tehillah. He says, then the Lord set ambushes against the people. Isaiah 42, it says, when you worship me, I will arouse myself as a man of war and shatter the enemy. The word in the Hebrew is Tehillah. When you Tehillah me, when you worship spontaneously by the Spirit of God deep from inside you, it's not just, you are good, good, oh Lord, you are good. Hey, what are we going to do afterwards? Good, good, oh Lord, we love you, Lord. Yeah, Friends, there's something that David had that we've lost. And it only comes in Tehillah. One of the biggest issues today in the church, in the world, it's the same, is depression. People depressed. I mean, anxious anxiety. You know that scripture that says to grant those in mourning Zion, giving them the, a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting or despair? You know what that praise is there? Tehillah. What's the point? The point is, when a person enters Tehillah praise, God builds his throne there. Which means what? He is enthroned upon his praise. So when a person, and friends, most people wait for a conference. Most people wait for a worship leader to lead them there. Most people wait for a gathering. The Davidic order of worship brought something literally into the earth realm that never existed before. He brought something literally from heaven. He says, I saw something by the Spirit, Solomon, my son. When you build a temple, make sure to build it with this system in place. And you have the most fruitful most dynamic, most powerful, most victorious season in all of Israel's history under this man because of worship. And he's taught on Tehillah. Even the name of the book of Psalms in the Hebrew is Sefer al-Tehillim. It's the songs of Tehillah because they came spontaneously from the Spirit. Asaph, Jeduthan, Heman, and David used to have recorders 24-7, 24 hours a day. Used to have little, they were people, not like Today, a little machine, right? iPhone, no iPhone. They used to have recorders running and following them around. I can prove all of this out of scripture. I just don't want you to fall asleep on me. Running and following around. So that when the Tehillah came upon them, they would record the song. They would run down and take it to Kenaniah, the master of music, and he would set it in music and set it in, and then it would go and be played in the tabernacle of David as an hour song. How much does the this church, the modern day church, has no clue of that. No clue. So what's the New Testament version? Ephesians 5.19. When you come together, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's the New Testament version. Psalms is the canonical psalms. They're songs. They're not to be, they used to be sang. In hymns, what's that? That's the known songs. That's what we do. Songs that are written, we know the tune, we know the melody, we know them. They're the known songs. And in spiritual songs, the Greek word there is pneumaticus ode. It's by the breath of the Spirit. Most churches are limited to one, hymns. They sing known songs only. And they actually violate the worship of the Davidic order. They sing one type. And God says, I want to enthrone myself there. I'm looking on the earth for a place to dwell. 
please understand the tabernacle of David. Understand what is on the earth, what is possible through worship. Which exi- that's why churches become teaching centers. Now I know I've taught long today, but friends, that's why they become teaching centers. Because they're not getting instructed on worship. God looks for worship, not teaching. Can we go on a journey as a body to learn what it means to worship the Lord biblically? What that, before you say yes, we, you might have to do something because you might have to express it with your body. Uh-oh, you might have to jump. Uh-oh, you might have to kneel. It was this process that David, you know when Michal, Saul's daughter, looked at David out the window and, and despised him in her heart? You know that process? You know why he took off all his clothes? Not because he was trying to be foolish. Because it was that, it was when he was bringing the ark from Obed-Edom's house, actually from Kiriath-Jeth Ammon, he was bringing the ark to put it in the tabernacle of David. It was a nine-mile journey, and he danced the whole way. He was sweating, and so he took off his clothes, except for his linen ephod, and he was despised by his wife. He was celebrating because he had seen something that no one had seen. And he said, we are going to set up a system of worship that will bring God's throne into the earth. And it will be a nation and Israel ruled when they did that. When you, do, you could do that for your family. You can do that for a nation. You can do that for a city. You can do it for your own heart. You're depressed, honestly, start to worship. And worship through the, well, I don't feel like it. I exalt the I Press in and worship and worship and worship. And eventually, Tehillah will start to come out. And you will start to sing spontaneously by the breath of the Spirit. And the Lord will arouse himself and inhabit that praise and shatter the enemy in your life. It's your choice. And that's just the beginning. I, I didn't even come close. In the Psalms, sometimes you see the, the word Tehillah. Not Tehillah. That's spontaneous prayer. That's another whole teaching for another time. Spontaneous song, spontaneous prayer. I think that's enough. Can we go on a journey? We tried this before, a couple years ago. We're going to try it again. In a couple years, we're going to do it again until we can worship in a way that God is exalted, that His throne can come. Because when His throne comes, that's what revival is. The glory of God comes down. Can we stand?